Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Will Summer, and welcome to The Daily Beast Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast. My book on QAnon, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America, will be available in February and is available for pre-order now. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Welcome back to Fever Dreams. I'm Will Summer, joined as always by Kelly Weil. Kelly, how's it going? I'm hanging in there, Will. How you doing? Are you hanging in there? Because I hear you were deep. You were long on FTX. Yeah, man. I shouldn't have put all my retirement funds in there. Shouldn't have banked my family's fortune, several generations of wealth. But what can you do, really? <laughs> so first of all, before we dive in, obviously the big news this week is the election and its fallout. And for us, the big news is the ensuing Republican civil war. But first, I wanted to check out FTX. So the background here is this was a big crypto exchange. It was run by a guy named Sam Bankman-Fried, who is a sort of iconoclastic character who made enough money that he could wear cargo pants and hang out with Bill Clinton and stuff like that. (laughs) But he was a big Democratic donor is kind of the key part here. Now, the collapse of FTX and the increasing suggestions that it was a scam or this Bankman-Fried guy was looting the money has been spun up into an interesting conspiracy theory that is being used now to explain why Republicans lost the midterms. Kelly, have you had a chance to see this? Yeah, I have. So this is one of these cool corkboard conspiracy theories where they find anybody who attended school, the same college within five generations of each other and really tie them all together in a bulletproof conspiracy plot. But basically the sum of it is Sam Bankman-Fried, he donated to a lot of causes, a lot of Democratic causes. In full disclosure, some of his colleagues donated to plenty of Republican causes. So basically, the theory is that Ukraine had some investments in FTX, which builds itself as a future of cryptocurrency. So Ukraine, obviously, not the only ones with any spurious involvement in this. So it's actually not even that, right? Here's the basic premise from the Republican point of view. And there's a lot of flowcharts that go into this, but they're not like very advanced flowcharts. It's just like a Ukrainian flag and an arrow going to like crime. So here's the deal. Got him. So FTX, big sack of money, right? In the invasion, when the invasion of Ukraine started, FTX made a thing so that where people could donate to the Ukrainian military and the Ukrainian government with crypto through them. And so I think there is a couple like tens of millions of dollars. So this is a relatively innocuous thing. But there's this very like thin link between Ukraine and FTX. So the theory is as follows. The U.S. government gives military aid to Ukraine. Ukraine then takes that money, gives it to FTX 
which launders it back to the Democratic Party. And that's how the Democrats won the midterm. So essentially, we're looking at it's basically a method to launder American tax dollars that is ostensibly meant for Ukraine. Now, Kelly, do you think this holds much water? Well, considering that, I mean, a lot of the funding for Ukraine was extremely bipartisan and also that $10 million in an election cycle buys you maybe like an ad on NPR. NPR doesn't (laughs) run ads, but, you know, something to that effect, A, a nice newspaper full page I don't think Ukraine is really bankrolling this Democratic win. This thing drives me crazy because it's like, number one, it's like crazy cope from Republicans who are just jamming together three things in the news, the war in Ukraine, the midterms and the FTX collapse. But it's just like so lazy. First of all, the whole Bitcoin ledger, folks, that's public. There's not like they have any evidence of this stuff actually happening. They just jammed it together. People are buying into this. So let me give you an example here. Seth Dillon, the comedic mastermind behind the conservative onion ripoff, the Babylon Bee. So he tweets, so Biden gave lots of money to Ukraine, who gave loads of money to FTX, who gave loads of money to Democrats. Sounds like a potentially massive scandal the media will have absolutely no interest in covering. Now, Elon Musk, who's running amok on Twitter, threatening my precious amount of followers, he bought into this too, but he bought into even a dumber version. Someone tweeted, hmm, Sam Bankman-Fried appeared at a World Economic Forum event. Now, that has nothing to do with Ukraine. That's the Great Reset, guys. And someone tweets, uh, hmm, seems like FTX was laundering money for the Democrats. And Elon Musk tweets like, hmm, definitely something to be looked into. So I think well, for me, this makes Pizzagate look like string theory, right? Like this is just because at least with Pizzagate, it was like, well, I admit like John Podesta's brother does have some weird art, not what I would want to hang in my house. But this is like, there's truly nothing here. This idea is so deeply rooted that Zelensky said he's open to negotiations and now the gateway pundit is saying Zelensky's suing for peace because FTX is imploded. He knows the Ukrainian <laughs> government's going to fall. I mean, this is really deeply rooted. And I, so much of Fever Dreams, what we bring you here is the stuff that a random relative will say to you at Thanksgiving and say like, well, I heard Ukraine was deep in on that FTX stuff. And that is what the deal is. Well, can I just also say like maybe one rebuttal to this? I wasted, I don't even want to tell you how much time yesterday going down the Tumblr blog of one of the FTX people allegedly involved in this polycule. The allegation is that everyone in FTX was like living and working and in a relationship with each other. And this girl is pretty pilled, I'm going to say. Like, I don't think she's voting blue anytime soon. She's talking about being a trad wife and world domination. So, well, she had this whole thing where it was like, I used to be trad, but then I found out the most trad thing you can do is be in a polycule and constantly be like scrabbling (laughs) for advantage over your rivals. Man, my advice is is just be normal, but to each their own. The final thing I would say on this, as you said, is that while Sam Bankman-Fried is a big Democratic donor, his other partner in this group was a major Republican donor. Maybe I wouldn't say major Republican donor, but tens of millions of dollars worth. These guys had donated to the NRCC, the Republicans' House campaign arm. It's just really wild. And I think people will continue to see more of these flow charts where it's like a big sack of money. Sam Bankman-Fried hands Biden a big sack of money. And for a lot of folks, that's all you need. That and your Microsoft clip art subscription and you're ready to go. (laughs) So getting into the big enchilada this week, which is the Republicans kind of quasi defeat, certainly a big letdown in the midterms. Kelly, what have you been seeing out there in terms of how Republicans are? Because whenever a party has a big election defeat, there has to be a reckoning of like, how did we get here? Who's to blame? So what are you seeing? Oh, wow. This is not being taken very sanely and soberly, right? So, I mean, to back up, Republicans were so psyched for what they said was a red wave, a red tsunami even, to quote Ted Cruz, that was going to sweep the Democrats out of power and they're going to be able to do all kinds of wacky stuff once we enfranchise. That really didn't happen. A lot of their 
shining stars didn't take office either nationally or on the state level. Last night, we saw the defeat of Kari Lake in Arizona. So they're kind of suffering the agony of defeat right now. And rather than, I think, be introspective about why they failed, what was wrong with those candidates, what messaging didn't resonate. There's a lot of bitterness, to be honest. There's a lot of finger pointing. And we're actually seeing a lot of these voices taking sides, saying that this was a failure of the Trumpist message, or this was a failure to commit fully enough to Trump. So there is, I think, maybe the beginnings of kind of a civil war going on. I think they're going to have a real reckoning as soon as they stop cringe posting on Twitter. This is actually, I think, for observers of the Republican party. This is a very tasty time. This is what we call the cool zone because <laughs> for I think people who follow this stuff, it can get a little tired when there's kind of one ideological line. Like for me, I was so, so bored when they were fighting over Obamacare because it was like, this was many years ago, but it was just like every day, all my columnists, all my bloggers were just like, oh, I hate Obamacare. Oh, who cares? But it's when like some kind of big news happens that's bad for Republicans that things kind of get like jumbled up. You have a fun period before they kind of settle back into the talking point. This is the point where since 2020, you might have thought Trump would lose control of the party in 2020, but he didn't. And so there's been kind of a line they've all kept. But now, after the midterms, we're going to see the DeSantis heads rise up. We're going to see the quasi-fascist national conservatives try to take over. We're going to see people like Glenn Youngkin perhaps try to assert themselves. So, like I said, I mean, it's an exciting time to be watching this stuff. So we've got a couple lines here. I mean, one is, I think, the most obvious and the one that people could most actually learn from is this idea that they need more moderate candidates, that the party needs to be less weird. People were circulating <laughs> that video of Blake Masters. I mean, if folks haven't seen this, this is one of the strangest videos I've ever seen. Blake Masters, this was an ad. This was not something released to hurt him. This was not oppo. This is something he paid for. It's, it's stunning. So he takes a gun out and it says, on the outskirts of Tucson. I mean, it's like a Breaking Bad episode. And so he takes a gun out, out to the outskirts and he's like, this is James Bond's gun. It is German made. Like, what more could you want hmm, hmm. <laughs> just to interject the most insane part of this for me was it had a silencer on it. he goes silencers get a bad rap because people think you're going to do something bad with them but i think it helps aim <laughs> it's so bizarre i felt like i was watching like a blue ruin or something like he's just gonna go like just dispatch some guys in the desert i swear to god this guy's like standing outside your window right now wearing a ski mask it's the <laughs> vibe of this thing like if i was that cameraman i'd be like wait is blake is this really are we really filming a video or is this like a good fellow, like a trap kind of thing? I mean, he, and so I think Blake Masters is really a great example of like kind of the extremes that the Republicans got themselves into and not even like politically extreme because the guy the establishment is going to want, Ron DeSantis, is himself incredibly weird and incredibly, if anything, more extreme than Trump in terms of using power to punish his enemies. But these guys who just like you get, Blake Masters was tweeting during the election, like sports are so weird. It's for a bunch of soy boys. Why would you be obsessed with a man? Like, I mean, that is stuff that normally voters are just not going to like. Yeah. And you and I are, I think, quite on Twitter, long live Twitter. But I think these Republican candidates and the parties around them have also become kind of Twitter brains. They've really lost touch with most people who are not using that lingo and aren't on that weird edgelord sense of humor. I mean, nothing encapsulates this for me in Arizona and that Blake Masters race, like the Republican Party of Arizona, which is way out there, just stuffed to the gills with fascinating characters. They tweeted this meme. It's like the average Mark Kelly enjoyer. And it was a oafish looking cartoon of a person in an astronaut costume. And the average Blake Masters enjoyer, which was like, I guess, supposed to be this svelte 
cartoon man. It was just a guy. Yeah. Yeah, just a guy. Even I'll venture to say a little unnerving guy, kind of a thousand yard stare. But I'm like, okay, so what's the punchline there? Oh, that people like astronauts? Yeah, hell yeah. I love astronauts. Everyone loves an astronaut. Like, why would you remind the voters that one of these guys is an astronaut and the other has got kind of a creepy distance gaze? Yeah, I mean, it was like, well, we're going to give him the soy face. And I have to admit, when I saw that before the election, I was like, damn, they've got something here. That just shows how it <laughs> twisted up I've become. I mean, because of course people prefer for astronauts. We're all drinking from the same poison chalice together. So there is this aspect of, I think they're going to try to moderate. But for me, I think if you look, I'm sure you see this as well, Kelly, I think if you look at the way the Republican Party is structured, in particular, how the right-wing media apparatus is set up, I just don't think there is anything that in this party that is built to promote moderate candidates, certainly through the primary cycle. I just think that all the incentives, if you're a right-wing radio host, push the crazier person. If you're Charlie Kirk, if you're all these figures, and this is how Trump got elected, is there's no one who can really like stand on the ramparts and stop the party from moving further right. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, social media really does incentivize being the most insane version of yourself, right? All these bombastic characters can really get away with a lot more in this era because no one really wants to vote for the 50% version of their message. If you're a Republican and you fully believe that abortion is evil, that immigrants are coming to kill you in the night, well, you're not going to say, let's have about half of that. You're going to say, let's go whole hog. And the medium for some of that extreme messaging is it's Twitter memes. It's the stuff that 25-year-old social media worker on the Arizona Republican Party knows about and is fluent in and really isn't going to be be a moderating voice reaching Republican voters who might actually be a little bit more on the fence, who might not be pilled to the gills on Twitter, someone who's looking for a voice of reason. And I think that's really been gutted from this Republican media landscape. So one person who's getting talked about a lot is Ron DeSantis. I've been on the record as being very short Ron DeSantis's chances. I really, really encourage people to watch him speak for roughly a minute and you will bet against him on predict it or whatever. You're going to see him stand next to Donald Trump in a debate and they're going to gravitate toward the guy who's 6'4", but go on. <laughs> the DeSantis attacks, I think, are going to go in like some very interesting directions. Like Trump appears to be cooking up sort of a Lady Macbeth attack against DeSantis's wife, <laughs> which should certainly be something. And what's going to be interesting about that is Trump Trump, he'll probably do a little of it, but you're going to have to get like some of the women in Trump's orbit to do it. So you're going to have to have like Kimberly Guilfoyle, Trump lawyer Alina Haba. So I'm getting a little off track here, but I think this is sort of the previews of the next few years. Kelly, another thing is that there wasn't a ton of election denial. We might see this kickoff now that Kerry Lake appears to have definitely lost. But even people like J.R. Majewski, QAnon believer in Ohio, who you might have thought would be well positioned for it. He's putting out these really like it was an honor to run kind of these very like milk toast <laughs> things. What do you think is going on there? Okay, so I've been kind of grappling with this all week because we were really prepped for a lot of election denialism. And although some of the usual candidates, the weird telegrams that I know you and I follow have been dabbling in this stuff, most of the main candidates have either accepted defeat or just not really said anything about it. I think it's possible that without a Trump-like messenger, this kind of stop the steal rhetoric just doesn't really work. I think it's probably kind of hard for a J.R. Majewski to sell election denial on the back of his radiant personality. I don't think that guy has the force of will to get people to riot in the streets for him. But another theory I have, and maybe a political scientist will kick this down, is I think the scope of this defeat was so broad and so decisive in so many 
districts that it's really hard for conspiracy theorists, at least moderately credible ones, to mount this kind of argument to say, oh, yeah, Democrats rigged it all across the country in their various voting systems and just happened to work out this one very consistent way that all of our candidates running on this crazy voice lost. Now, maybe I'm being a little too sensible for conspiracy theorists, but I think the scope of the theory they have to cook up right now is too broad for them to really have those technical details ready to roll out. I think you're right. I mean, I think it reminds us how much of the election denial stuff in 2020 was based not only around Trump's personality, but like around this idea that no one could upset the big boy. I mean, <laughs> like how much of it was like Republicans cannot make Trump mad and acknowledge what's obvious that he lost. And so you then have to kind of cook up all these things to create this facade that people can believe in and kind of deal with that cognitive dissonance. I do like the idea, though, of I think it's much easier to try to be like whip people up to do a coup for the presidency. Like if J.R. Majewski was like, come on, guys, let's overthrow the government. Like I deserve to run Ohio's ninth district. <laughs> yeah, I made this special mega rap just for you. I don't think that motivates people. It is funny how like this idea that Democrats steal the elections all the time, except they just decided not to do it this time. Just like this one was <laughs> legit. We lost for real this time. That leads me into what I think is probably going to be the if any sort of election denial thing keeps going, I think. And, you know, here I should say, since we mentioned it, speaking of election denial, that everyone in the Wano Save and QAnon coalition running at a battleground state did lose. So fortunately, Q will keep his hands and JFK Jr. will not be able to <laughs> defeat the cabal quite yet. So the place where I think the most election denial could come from is the Carrie Lake race in Arizona, where this is a woman who is, I would say, along with DeSantis and Trump, kind of a real main avatar of the MAGA movement. And so many hopes were on her. I mean, they, they were already looking at her as a vice presidential pick in 2024, in large part because she... Like owns the media and people say like why are you so bad why are you trying to delegitimize our elections and she's like why don't you just shut up totally she has i think some of the trump dna right where i mean people like trump because he's cruel and because he's bombastic and he'll say things that most people won't say on air and carrie lake is a former news broadcaster i mean she gets how media works she gets how to be punchy and she totally understands what gets attention so she's i think she's borrowed a lot of that trump dna and to your point i mean people were even i saw candace owens was even tweeting about having Kari Lake as her lead 2024 candidate, right? So people really were hoping for her to be this rising star on the right. And it really didn't happen. So I do think when you mentioned that people unified around Trump because you, you can't make the big boy unhappy. I finished a really good book this weekend by Michael Bender. He's the White House correspondent at the Wall Street Journal. And it really showed the aftermath of the 2020 election when pretty much everyone around Trump had acknowledged that he'd lost. But the reason these election fraud conspiracy theories started percolating in the weeks after the election is just because this one guy wouldn't let go. And so everybody had to please him and to construct this narrative around him. And I think you need a load-bearing Republican star who can unite people like that in a very negative way, but who can bring people around this message that they were uniquely sinned against. And maybe Carrie Lake is big enough for that. I think that's a great insight. I mean, they've gone all in on Carrie Lake. I mean, there are these tweets that are like, Carrie Lake is the greatest politician of her generation. What a tragedy <laughs> that she lost. And it's like, well, apparently not that good of a politician. She <laughs> She's never um, held office, has she? 
No, it's truly shocking when you realize like she has been a just a local news anchor. They've invested so much in her, like with Trump, that I think you could see this idea that it's like, well, God, we really would love to have her as the vice president. We'd love to run her again for something. So we're just going to say it was lost. On a personal note for me, I mean, this is really crushing her defeat. She made this big thing where she's like, we're going to take you media people and we're going to make you real journalists. And I guess we'll never get to become real journalists. I wanted my master's. What the hell? <laughs> my brief thing about her, like just because they do make such a big deal about how she owns reporters and this is like kind of one of her signature things is i think she really takes advantage of the way that reporters cannot really like give it back in kind and this is something that kind of more scurrilous characters like gavin mcginnis also realize and so you'll be at cpac and then they'll be like will summer you little bitch or whatever and it's like not like i'm gonna be like well yeah well here's what i think about you pal and so you just have to kind of like oh yeah and then it's a video where it's like gavin mcginnis owns will summer and in the same way these poor reporters in arizona they try their best but they can't just be the roastmaster general here against carrie lake <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And they know that it's a very like one-sided interaction, right? Because I think we try and keep a certain degree of professionalism. And a lot of Republicans are delighting candidates that have thrown that professionalism out the door, right? That's why I think a lot of in the 2016 primary, a lot of Republicans really failed to grapple with Trump because they'd be like, this man does not have the proper qualifications. And he'd be like, yeah, Rick Santorum, like you probably like killed the dog or something. Yeah, your dad killed jfk ted cruz yeah and then it's, what? that's right what? yeah as we wrap this up here i would also say there's one guy who i think actually might deserve a little more blame and is getting it in kind of a couple people are waking up to this i was reading a column on town hall and it said one man deserves all the blame for our midterms disaster and i thought who is it trump who could it be and it's lindsey graham because he did that hilarious move where he announced that he wanted to do a nationwide abortion ban and all the republicans who i think many of whom would love that idea if they could actually pass it were suddenly like hey lindsey like ixnay come on man yeah yeah, it spoke too loud. And so now people are like, Lindsay sabotaged us. It's all his fault now. I think, obviously, I don't think that ended up being a thing that people talked about a ton. But it is like there were a lot of missteps along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, abortion, obviously, a huge motivating issue at the polls. A lot of people's main priority when they were voting. And I think Republicans have performed the best when they kind of disguise their intentions there. Say, so, we'll leave it up to a woman and her doctor and the local legislator. And so there's probably <laughs> so some fun. legitimacy and blaming Lindsey Graham there because he was just a frankly a little bit too honest. What a mess. Going forward, I mean, this is really just we're just scratching the surface here on what is ahead in the potential Republican civil war. This week, the Republicans are going to be kind of poking at who's going to be their leaders. And a lot of this action now is going to be in Congress and in the House, the kind of the thin Republican majority. So I think there is a lot more ahead. The people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene are feeling really assertive now. And I frankly, as someone watching this, I just can't wait. It's very juicy. Love it. <laughs> okay, so Will, obviously, Republicans suffered a pretty crushing defeat there in the midterms. But you have a report on some winners, some people who have been really raking it in lately. Honestly, yeah. Like, we don't leave the listeners with a bunch of losers. We also have to tell some success stories. Now, this, I have a big smile on my face because I'm so excited to talk about this story. This is the story of America's frontline doctors, a nonprofit, and I want to underline that nonprofit, a group that was sort of the main drivers behind the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin mania of the COVID era. I want to direct folks, I have an article on the Daily Beast about 
about this this week. This is a really meaty one. It's a fun one to dive into if you like underwear models, if you like money disappearing in interesting ways, <laughs> if you like $100,000 private jet trips. This is a story someone at the Beast said to me that like there's so many even like side characters in this story who are like, wow, in any other story, you would be the craziest person. Absolutely. This is like Netflix limited series territory. It's <laughs> cinematic. Yeah, Ryan Murphy, call me. <laughs> so here's the deal. So America's Frontline Doctors, this is a group that folks may remember. They're big in COVID. They had this thing called, they kind of burst onto the scene in the summer of 2020. They had this thing called the White Coat Summit. And they had collected kind of a rogues gallery of doctors who had dabbled in esoteric COVID cures, mainly hydroxychloroquine at the time. And if folks remember, this was at a time where the Trump administration was like, oh man, we can't figure out how to deal with this COVID thing. We need a magic bullet. And so we're going to go all in on hydroxychloroquine. And so you have these doctors. The main one was named Simone Gold. They got up in their white coats, and I think they stood in front of Congress or some other monument in D.C., and they said, hydroxychloroquine is the truth. We got to get into it. Now, this event also became infamous because this is where Stella Emanuel, the demon sperm lady, where she <laughs> gave her speech. And, and so that slightly marred it. But nevertheless, they soldiered on. They met with Mike Pence. Trump was super into them. And so this is how they broke onto the scene. Now, Simone Gold, she's this L.A emergency room doctor who got in hot water because she just loved hydroxychloroquine so much. This whole thing turns her into a right-wing media celeb. And so she goes everywhere and says, we got to get into HCQ. She says, well, we're going to roll out a line of clinics. I mean, this thing is blowing up. But Kelly, would it surprise you to learn that things were getting a little shady behind the scenes? No, I can't possibly imagine that from the totally legitimate doctor who had this roadshow tour really like a <laughs> year before the Renew America. She's sort of the prototype for it. She has been a media a mogul for people who want to ingest effectively like fish tank cleaner to cure the COVID. <laughs> exactly. And so I should say, I mean, the way they're making money in this group is that, so number one, there are donations, like she goes on Tucker and people donate there. But the other way they're making money is by connecting people who want hydroxychloroquine, who want I ivermectin with prescription. I mean, during the early COVID era, I did take a poke around this website, not because I wanted my own ivermectin hookup, but just curious how it worked. And it's not how you would normally get your pills. I'll just say you go through this really dodgy web portal and it might ask you to download an app and that will hook you up with a doctor who can hook you up with ivermectin. It is not like any medical service I've ever seen before. So it doesn't surprise me at all that there might have been a little grifting on the side somewhere between the 500 web pages that open when you try and get your medicine there someone might have been taking a cut there it's funny you say that there are like a lot of pass-throughs and that's kind of why i'm sort of hedging my words here it's like they're not quite the ones doing the prescription but they're the ones who like you go to to find the doctor right they're the guys who know the guys who know the person in the back alley that's going to give you the ivermectin in a brown paper bag it's kind of a less savory operation than maybe when you go to get your like quote medical marijuana card for the fellas <laughs> out there a minoxidil prescription for hair loss and so you get kind of this like rubber stamp doctor so they're making money from this. The Intercepted some reporting on this, I believe, last year. So they're pulling in millions from that. They're pulling in at least 10 million in donations. So this is a big sack of money that has sort of appeared out of nowhere. And ultimately, like, what do you do with all that money? Well, the board is now suing Simone Gold. And so we have a, some insight into how this money was allegedly spent. One of the things is a $3.6 million mansion in Naples, Florida, a hub for medical research, of course, so you got to be there. <laughs> this is a house with a pool. This is something you see a lot with these kind of groups is like, 
like they'll buy a house and then it's like well maybe also we could have meetings here i guess <laughs> so she's living there <laughs> basically just sort of there were these hundred thousand dollar private jet trips they were just like she was supposedly spending fifty thousand dollars a month on her personal expenses including like twelve thousand dollars on a security guard roughly six thousand dollars a month on house cleaning which i have to say i mean that is like what is that like a daily house cleaning that is a lot well if it's a 3.6 million dollar house in naples like it's got to be pretty big so <laughs> in a way that's kind of what surprised me about it kelly because it was only like 3,500 square feet <laughs> so i was like where is all this money going i mean maybe naples is just a very exclusive area i'm not familiar with it one thing i have to say is the move for all the right-wing personalities we cover to move to florida the state with the best court and open records law has been like <laughs> such an incredible blessing to us it's so good that you can just pull up these court florida i have to say a lot going wrong in florida but the way they treat journalists like kings there's literally a thing where i can request just some obscure file from the 90s it just there's a button i go like i want this and they're like okay sir we'll scan it in three it days it for rules. free sunshine law folks i mean you know what i don't even care if t- florida turns into a solid red state you just keep giving me those FOIA requests and we are golden and just the way they all just like circle the drain into there where I can pull up the files. I mean, it really is so fabulous. So getting back on track here. So all this money is just going in all these crazy ways. I mean, think about that. $50,000 a month in personal expenses. So cut to January 2021. Simone Gold and her boyfriend slash employee, <laughs> 20 years younger, underwear model, John Strand. Make of that what you will, folks. They go to January 6th and they break into the Capitol along with everyone else. She starts giving her, it's like they're in the rotunda. She starts giving her spiel. Some guy's walking by with a podium and she's like, they won't let us get hydroxychloroquine. And ultimately, they were not one of the ones that people online had to like give them a nickname and do a lot of like AI face matching. I mean, they were busted pretty much immediately. There are a lot of people who I think did intend to covertly bust in there. You see Oath Keepers and Proud Boys who had planned out their outfits and were aiming for some level of stealth, not Simone Gold and her boyfriend. They were just waltzing in, you know, full face exposed. These are kind of the classic characters who I think kind of got caught up in the moment. And that's not to excuse them, but I think that this was like when Elijah Schaefer of the Blaze was tweeting like, the revolutionaries have seized the Capitol. And then suddenly was like, oh, 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 I got a little ahead of myself here. And so so they're arrested. And so as her legal case is continuing, in February of 2022, she says, well, look, things are getting a little hot around here. And so I'm going to resign as the chairman of America's Frontline Doctors. And thus at least theoretically, give up access to this big pot of money. And so she's replaced by a guy named Joey Gilbert, who is, when I mentioned that there are a lot of characters who sort of could do with their own profiles here, Joey Gilbert's a guy I've been following for a while. He's a former boxer who was suspended from the beautiful game after testing positive for amphetamines and steroids. He apparently was like a pretty promising boxer. Not anymore, though. So he's a lawyer, and he was her lawyer and working for the group. And so then he was made the chief operating officer, and he he takes the reins a lot. There's one of these quote-unquote constant constitutional sheriffs who we've talked about this guy named sheriff mac he's in charge this guy another guy a pastor associated with the new apostolic reformation which is the group that is driving where all these people are quote-unquote prophets so we got a real interesting crew but interestingly at least according to the board's lawsuit they're kind of the more respectable ones <laughs> they're the more respectable ones joey gilbert he was running in nevada right and he's an election denialist in a primary a republican primary which is really fascinating to me when people start accusing their own party of stop the steal. And then the party's like, no, this primary was completely legitimate. So as soon as she steps down, it seems like Simone sort of thought that she would run things from behind the scenes. And so this is in February. She starts just like, allegedly, there's a bunch of affidavits from employees about this. She starts sort of terrorizing people, kind of bossing 
them around. She supposedly demands that, and I should say, everyone involved in this, at least at the top level, is making gobs and gobs of money. So there's one doctor who isn't even at the center of this whole thing who's making $144,000 a year from this. And Simone allegedly says, cut his salary in half and give that $72,000 to my underwear model boyfriend, John Strand, who's presumably already making... This started as a good suggestion then just went off the rails. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yes, cut his money. Yes, correct. <laughs> oh, no. So much so the woman who replaced her as executive director resigns within a few weeks. I mean, it is chaos. At one point, this employee resigns and very specifically says, I am resigning because I believe there's criminal activity going on here, which here, U.S. attorney in Florida. Check that out. So cut to so June. She pleads guilty. She goes to prison for about a month and a half. John Strand, meanwhile, is found guilty and is facing much more significant jail time. But he's living in the Naples, Florida house. She gets out of jail. Louis Gohmert is there to meet her. And I have to say, they made a big deal. She kind of had like a prison transformation, like an orange is the new black type thing. She comes out with like her hair and like boxer braids. And they made a big deal about how like she was going to do so many push-ups when she got out. And so it was like you could donate and guess how many push-ups Simone would do. Now, I have to say, this is some of the worst push-up form I have ever seen. She gets out. She does really awful, awful push-ups. She supposedly does 35. No one can believe it. Incredible. So she gets out. Michael Flynn welcomes her back onto the circuit. Oh, wow. What a genius. Then Joey says, hey, Simone, while you were gone, we did an audit into your spending. And it seems like you were pretty loose with the old checkbook there. And so then she's, she flips out. And then thus begins kind of the final stage of this war. And so she turns on the board and Joey, she sends these emails truly like, folks, you don't put this stuff in writing. And so she sends these emails where she dresses this pastor and Joey and Richard Mack. She dresses them each in turn where it's like, Richard, you and I have been friends. However, if you don't resign, you will be my deathly enemy. She's accusing Joey of all this financial malfeasance. And I will say her camp is sort of like Joey was not blind to the spending. They sent me a picture of Joey on one of the private jets with them, <laughs> with the underwear model. That's rough. It's hard to make your case here. I do like how deeply personal all of these pseudo legal filings are. It's very much lawsuit by Facebook. They always have to get their personal digs in. And to your point that you don't really put the stuff in writing, I would argue that, yes, keep putting it in writing. Keep giving us the salacious details because there's a novelistic character to all of this. And I really enjoy reading it. It's really incredible. I mean, just this one email she sent was so just like, and I should say all of these emails are being sent at like 3 a.m., which uh, it, these emails, she says repeatedly, a lioness does not let her cub be murdered. The cub here is the nonprofit. And she says, like, I will rise up as an avenging lion. I mean, it's really kind of wild stuff. If she refers to herself as the rainmaker repeatedly and also describes herself as a, herself, to be clear here, as a popular folk hero, like it's Johnny Appleseed or Paul Bunyan. And I mean, it's really remarkable stuff. So then finally, last week, this kind of reaches the point where like it is just full on war. She is seizing control of the bank accounts we're trying to. She seizes control of the email accounts. I mean, it is really just on. People are accusing each other in the group of being spies. People are being cut out. So this group is just in total chaos. I talked to one of the employees who incredibly talked to me about it, and it just seems like they are cooked. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to have to go to Tractor Supply Co. to get our ivermectin now, because this venue seems to be shutting down. Yes. We're talking about here, there's nearly still $10 million in the mix here. It is really, as you said, I think for the people who are still deep in the ivermectin thing, I do not think this is the spot to get it anymore. We really haven't even touched on, like, she had this side business. I mean, there is so much going on here. I really recommend folks check it out. It is a little jewel I have prepared for the Daily Beast's readership. <laughs> We're very grateful. <laughs> very high opinion of this article. <laughs> it's good stuff. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Fevered dreams like all Daily Beast journalism exist because of the generous support of our subscribers, the people who pay for access to Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, exclusive ad-free newsletters, and our undying appreciation. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com to sign up. Okay, now we come once again to fresh hell, (laughs) where we really just get the most gruesome stuff out there. Kelly, what do you have for us? This is some really fresh hell. We've been updating this by the minute because last night, all the outlets called for Katie Hobbs. She won the governorship in Arizona. That's pretty historic. Republicans have held that seat for ages. But Carrie Lake, our friend and fellow former newscaster is not having it. She is calling fraud and she's actually kind of one of the first Republicans to do that this cycle. Most have gone peacefully into that good night last night around 1025, at least Eastern time is what, eight o'clock Arizona time, what have you. She tweets, Arizonans know BS when they see it. Now, that's not a very specific allegation. It doesn't really kick any specific fraud instances that she thinks happened, doesn't really accuse anyone of anything. But the fact that her opponent won is BS. And I think finally we are going to see Republicans rally around this fraud allegation, spurious though it might be. Yeah, I think this is the one that will keep going. As we said, I think they're really deep in on her. She's probably the most charismatic person who lost among the high profile races like i can't see republicans just being like we have to rehabilitate dr oz's reputation (laughs) oh man no keep doing it do it for another cycle (laughs) it's interesting in her case it's kind of like the little grumbling like you know this sticks or whatever she's not quite going out there and saying it yet but you know some people certainly are well because you can't accuse dominion without getting sued for 1.4 billion now so she's smart enough for that she's got to keep it vague exactly at best i think she's gonna say oh well you know that people couldn't vote for three hours and Maricopa County or what have you. They had to use these special ballots. Oh, this is so unfair. But yeah, I mean, I I do think this is sort of starting to shape up to be the one major one. One thing we're seeing is I just love these like these sort of like holistic investigations of voter fraud. So I think of in 2020 when it was like, well, where were the Biden boat parades? Huh? (laughs) Therefore, Trump must have won. In this case, we're seeing that Carrie Lake has more Twitter followers than Katie Hobbs. This is kind of from the hey, libs, Twitter isn't real life crew is now just like, look, like her social media cloud, her cloud score is is way higher than Katie Hobbs. She has to be governor. It's funny. I mean, these folks are just making up figures out of thin air. Mark Fincham, he, of course, ran for secretary of state in Arizona, one of the Wano Savin crew, and he lost. 
lost very handily. He tweeted last night, I should win by 3% and Carrie Lake should win by 11%. If that doesn't happen, you know the real story. Mark, where are these numbers coming from? 11% <laughs> based on what? No advance. Mark, have some self-respect. <laughs> I love that he's like, look, Carrie's better candidate than me. I understand this. I'm only going to inch just a little bit, but Carrie should be blowing him out. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's circle back to what she's starting to kind of cobble together as a fraud allegation. You mentioned that she's complaining that it took a long time for people to vote in Maricopa County. That's true. And I have a lot of sympathy for her. It should be easier to vote. Lines should be shorter. We should have more days on which you can vote. But folks, especially Arizona Republican folks, you've been arguing against expanded voting for a long time. There's been all this messaging in the lead up to the midterms about don't drop your ballot off in advance. Don't use early voting. Wait until the very last minute to get in line to vote. Drop off your early ballot the day of. <laughs> and because they wanted these delays to at least a certain extent, they wanted them so that they could point at something when numbers came in late, when people had grievances and hey, they got them there. Kari went on Fox News last night. She characterized the election as, quote, botched, which I think is interesting language. It's a little vaguer than stolen. It gives her a bit of wiggle room. And she said that the voting machine in her conservative part of town was low on toner, but you could go to a, quote, liberal part of town and the printer worked. And she goes, it's funny how that happens. It was like real crisp bold. Yeah, yeah, that's thing. right. It's interesting because I think there is this sense of like they have to solve it somehow and they have to make this allegation. Joe Oltman, who's kind of this Colorado character who's memorably getting sued into oblivion <laughs> by a Dominion engineer because I believe the engineer's name was Eric and Joe Oltman said, well, I was on an Antifa call and they said a guy named Eric was going to steal the election and people were like, oh my gosh, well, do you have a recording of this? And he said, no. <laughs> So, so nevertheless, he's kind of a big star and he's making these claims. He's like, if they don't let Carrie Whitlake win, we're going to shut down the state with a trucker convoy. And it's just like, I'm sorry, like just the amount of cope required to be like, oh, the truckers will save us again. I mean, the truckers are done, folks. Yeah. Also, just think about the infrastructure of Arizona. You've got a lot of disparate, unincorporated townships. The roads are really wide. I just don't think you can really get a convoy large enough to circle things and shut down the infrastructure. But if you want to give us a couple stories to write for the next couple weeks. I don't mind. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll go out, hang out with the truckers. <laughs> That's no problem. Another one is Ali Alexander, the organizer of the much vaunted Stop the Steel movement. He's just really like, these guys are just entering sort of different mind palaces. He was talking about how he's going to will it into existence. This guy is so crazy. I mean, he's really kind of stuck with Kanye. And so he's kind of entering just some very weird places. But he's saying he can time. Oh, I'm going to time travel and fix this. What on earth? I mean, this is a guy who has just sort of entered a new dimension. Yeah, no, Ali Alexander has just flown way off the deep end. I sort of think he's either genuinely ill or he has to one-up Kanye and be on the same boat with him, just be a little weirder. So he went on this long rant about Kari Lake losing. He said he's going to will it into existence. You're right that he says he can time travel. He says that he almost made Pete Davidson kill himself with his mind. And then he goes, yes, of course the Jews time travel. It's what makes the apostasy so great. So it's like, whoa, buddy. He's very deep into the anti-Semitism oh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, one thing that struck me about him was he's like you can time travel with your mind and he said and actually that's why hollywood makes movies where you have to have a machine to time travel because they don't want you to know you can just do it with your mind 
buddy. What do you even say about that? So, I mean, this sounds like a really solid coalition building around Curry. They're going to stop the steal with time travel and mind control and driving trucks in a circle around Maricopa County. That sounds like a really good strategy. I mean, what's important is that they've all learned the right lessons from their election <laughs> defeat and are moving forward. They're like, we just didn't have enough time travel. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something to focus on going forward. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.